an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1041. It is fast approaching. The Wizard Guitar Tour starts January 24th and 25th in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus Funny Bone. Uh, this is what I've called my stand-up tour this year because I have a guitar with a wizard on it which may not sound like much but when you see it you'll be like holy shit that is a wizard guitar my friend so come on out to the show there's uh, Columbus Ohio Philadelphia San Francisco Sacramento Braille Portland uh, Boston Denver Bloomington Minneapolis Austin Cleveland a bunch of Nashville bunch of cities coming up so go to id10t.com slash tour to get tickets and info on all of that. I hope to see you out there. And now, events at id10t.com is how you can promote your thing or a thing of a friend that you, or a thing that you just like that you want people to know about um, because our interests might be similar. This is from Michael who writes, I made a thing. Good for you. I put together a team of 100 volunteer artists from all over the world and we made an animated short called The Wrong Rock. Won a few awards including Best Film twice and is included in the top 10 best films at 2019 uh, at Film Shortage. This is a story about a mushroom and it's, uh, I watched it and it is adorable. It is a very sweet film. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Is that it's about a mushroom. Uh, it features a great new score from Grant Kirkhope, famous for lots of game soundtracks, including Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie, and an all-new song by The Misses, which is an all-female band in Austin, Texas. Um, Michael's credits include lots of big movies and games, but he says he's too humble to list them. That's all right. We, I, You should have list them. It's okay to... Take pride in your work, my friend. Anyway, thank you for the work that you do. The film is at therongrock.com. And you can check out the making of the documentary if you hold on past the credits. Uh, So there you go. Events at ID10T.com is how you get your thing out there. This episode is Tom Payne, uh, formerly of The Walking Dead, formerly Jesus, of The Walking Dead. He's promoting his new show, Prodigal Son, which is back with new episodes on January 20th at 9 p.m. on Fox. Um, But uh, yes, I've known Tom since he started on The Walking Dead, and he has been nothing but an absolute sweetheart. And, And it's, you know, it's always sad when we see characters leave a show that we like, you know, because we want the, we like those characters, we want them to stay on the show, but then it's also nice stepping out of that to go, ah, these people are going on and doing other things, and they're growing as performers, and they're expanding their horizons, and so you can see Tom expanding his horizons on Prodigal Son on Fox, and uh, that's it, that's all I got for this, a fairly short intro, so let's just start the thing, the episode 1041 of the ID10T podcast with Tom Payne. Initiating ID10T protocol. It's so interesting to see you with a with a with a short haircut. Yeah. No no super beard. No super beard, no long hair. I mean, this is how I've looked for most of my life. Right. But <laughs> then until the then you took a detour. Yeah, I you, took a detour. You took a hairy detour. And uh, I mean, that's unless I become mega rich and never have to work again. That's probably the only time 
I'll be able to do that. Because to be on a long-running TV show and grow out your hair, because typically you you grow it out a bit between jobs and then you cut it again for whatever the job is. Right. But to grow it that long is... Uh, I don't think that happens very often. Because I remember when the first time you came on Talking Dead, it was still very small, and Jesus' character, it was a fake beard. On the first season I the shot. Fir- yeah, the yeah. first season you shot. And then somehow, in the course of like a summer... You came back with this bushel. Well, I grew, and the beard was kind of ridiculous because my beard grows a specific way. So it's kind of like flat on the sides and then massive at the front. It was crazy. And I didn't know what they would want. So I just kept growing it. And uh, yeah, I had this monstrosity on my face until I went back to But it was shoot. the speed at which it grew that, yeah. was, that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, my hair grows pretty fast. I mean, that's... <laughs> you're, you're a healthy young man, Tom yeah, Payne. Well, there you are. I mean, because I, I remember seeing you right before... You were leaving the show and you're like, I can't wait to shave this fucking thing yeah, off my yeah, face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a whole, I mean, and just everything. It's a great look, but it had become, it's a lot of maintenance and a lot of, you know, the long hair gets very annoying. Did you document the removal of the beard? Uh, the beard, no. Well, the beard happened um, with, well, they actually, they both happened with the, the audition process for my new show. But um, uh, the hair I did, um, I have pictures of it um, when it was being cut off. Yeah, because you put it in bunches and because we donated it. Um, and that was weirdly emotional. I'm <laughs> it sure like, it was. Weirdly um, upset is the wrong word, but like just I got emotional about it. Because I, I understood, like you hear from um, people when they cut their long hair, they're like, oh, it was really sad. And you don't really understand it until you do it. But there's like three years of life stuff that's happened while you've had all that it's like there's lots of like emotion in that hair yeah you know so um when i cut it uh it was it's a real shedding of one life and moving into another and it was interesting because i had been that person like as much as i had been jesus on the show because i looked like that off screen as well there wasn't really ever a chance for me to get away from the character and what i looked like so everyone was always shouting at me in the street and like i was very very recognizable so I was that character for three years, um, which fed into some of my frustrations with the show because I had like dedicated my life to that character mm-hmm. and that show for three years. Um, and then so then when I shed myself of the hair and the beard, then that, it was really like, yeah, evolving into something else. Well, yeah, of course. And, and also letting that character go is like the true death of that character yeah. was the day that you shaved it all off. Because yeah, yeah. That was that really was that really was it. Well, there's no way I'm ever going to, you know, if there was ever a question of Jesus coming back on the show, like, I'd, I'd never wear a fake hair and fake beard again. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> just not. I, 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 hair hair often, discrepancy. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'd be like, I'm not going to wear a wig. I'm not going to do a fake beard. So I don't think that's ever going to Maybe in a flashback, he could just have, like, short hair and no yeah, beard. Yeah, maybe they could do an origin story where yeah. it was, like, a different thing. Yeah, maybe. It was just, like, it was just a regular dude. Yeah. And he became that He became that character. Exactly. I could grow the beard. You could <laughs> definitely... You, well, you grow the beard in, like, a week, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, right. that's not a problem but it is my, my fascination it, there is that sort of human sociological thing with you know who do people become in times of great crisis right and that's to me that's sort of the core issue of that show in particular is mm-hmm. like who are these people who were they before and how did they change yeah I mean that show is just it just feels like a giant sociological experiment do you feel you uh because even having been near that show for almost 10 years, 10 years, um, I'm still not any closer to feeling like if there were an apocalypse, I would have any <laughs> skill set whatsoever. Uh, yeah, not really. I learned how to fight when I was doing that show, so I definitely am more capable in that area. Um, and what's interesting about it is that, you know, people don't die in real life, but when they leave the show, you know, the dynamic changes every single time. So you kind of deal with a certain type of loss in mm-hmm. a certain way on that show because it's always evolving and people are leaving and coming back and people are going and doing different things. And I, I like, I feel quite separated from it now, um, which is weird because when I was in it, I was in it, you know, like I said, I was the guy for three years, but also you go to the conventions and you see everyone all the time and you're really in that walking dead world. Um, but then once you're out of it, like I do feel <laughs> I do feel dead from it uh, to a certain extent now, which is kind of a bit weird. And I think that's a lot to do with the way that I look now as well. I'm I'm divorced from it. <laughs> right. Uh, in a very physical way. <laughs> you lost the beard and the hair and the divorce. <laughs> yeah, basically. And that's that's it. It's, it's done. 
But uh, no, um, as far as being capable in an apocalypse, maybe a touch more. Slightly more. Slightly but, more. but I think that's, that's what I think that pe- some people don't really understand about... I mean, maybe they do now. Maybe they kind of do because it's, it, it, you know, people understand how shows are made now and we talk, we do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. But, mm. but, but the idea that really you guys are essentially like cordoned off in this very small town yeah. and you're, so it's not like, oh, you know, in LA you go to a studio and you yeah. shoot and then you go home and then you, you know, it's like you're, you're there for so long and, you know, it also like, I can understand why, you know, for instance, Andy Lincoln theoretically might have felt like, well, yeah, I really have been away from my home for 10 years and yeah. maybe it would be nice to be with my kids, which is, I'm guessing, some of the reason why, reasons why. Yeah. But it's, it, it doesn't, it's the same thing like when Lost was on the air and it's like, why would anyone ever not want to be in that show forever? And it's like, because there's still people and they still have to live in <laughs> the middle in of nowhere for yeah. almost a year. And at a certain point, as much as you love the show and the result, it's probably nice to like not yeah. sacrifice a huge chunk of your life to do it. We have, so in the, in Prodigal Son, uh, one of the characters played by Aurora Perrineau, who's mm-hmm. Harold's daughter. Right. And she, you know, they went to Hawaii. And so like her, she had a very peripatetic upbringing. Like it was, she was just kind of everywhere all the time with whatever Harold's jobs were, um, which is fun, you know, fun way to grow up. And, and Hawaii was awesome. And she loved Hawaii. But it, but um, Andy on our show didn't do that. Like he, they chose to have their kids in England mm-hmm. and, and keep their, um, life stable in that mm-hmm. way and had the kids grow up in a certain place and I do think that's one of the hardest parts of it like we just got picked up for nine episodes so we're doing 22 episodes congratulations thank you very much um, but I was on the streets of New York and I was kind of like oh my god like not in a kind of like yay this is amazing but kind of shit I guess I live in New York now like <laughs> and, and I immediately thought about my relationship and my house here and all these kind of life things that that have become more important to me now as I'm in my mid-30s and like in my 20s it would have been like yeah let's do everything absolutely but now it's like well I'm getting married next year and I want to have kids and we want to have this life and how do you um, continue to make the job work around the stuff that's becoming more important to you and I think for Andy that's that's really hard like he, he has you know, kids in England who've grown up a lot without him right. being at home. And and I think that's really hard. Um, and I didn't, I, I thought he did exactly the right thing, actually. Well, I mean, it's also the emotional turmoil of, uh, you know, because to an outsider, it's like, oh, wait, your job's not so hard. You're just pretending all day. Mm. But it, especially a show like this is incredibly physical. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly emotional. And your brain, I feel like when you're forcing your brain to be upset all the time, mm-hmm. the result is you probably feel upset a lot of the time, you know? <laughs> like, it's not as easy as just, like, now your I'm body, home. Your body doesn't know that it's not real. Right. So, and if you're good, you can, you know, you put yourself in the situation, and, and you, there are physical responses, like, drama school. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, know, you, you know how your body feels when you're crying and when yeah. you're laughing, and, and, and it is very physical. And it, you're not also not just doing it for... 10 minutes you're doing it over and over again so it is you know it is exhausting and we work really long days and in in the film and tv industry you work really really long days and and on the walking dead you know you're working in the humidity and with the bugs and there's a lot of stuff going on and then you you're driving yourself to work every day and driving home like an hour each way mm-hmm. and it, it's a lot and, and actually on that show um, one of my bugbears was that I wasn't used enough, but at the same time, like if I was used every day, that would have been a whole other thing as well, which is what I'm experiencing on this show. But I'm not driving myself to work uh, every day on, on the show that I'm doing right now. But um, but to work every day on The Walking Dead, which is pretty much what Andy did, is for for a long time, <laughs> I mean, like nine years. It's a long time. It's a really long. I mean, that is sort of the thing about this business is that when you you know, you want to get a job, you want job stability, you want job stability. And then when you have it, it can be a little of like, oh, oh, wait a minute, like seven to 10 years is a (laughs) significant, you know, that's like a significant chunk of, you know, I guess statistically, that's like a seventh of my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yes, this thing might be fun. But but if I also want to be a person and have a life and be around my kids and be able to just do normal things, you know, like what's the what's the trade off? But we don't think about that stuff when we're young because we just want to. We just want in. Yeah, yeah. You want to be on the show, and but and <clears throat> I don't think I could have done the job that I'm doing now when I was younger either. There's a certain 
professionalism and stuff that you learn and just coping strategies um, right. with, with work. And when you lead a television show, you're in every department all the time and like you're someone that people come to as well and 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 they look to you for for leadership Mm -hmm. and um so it's really nice in in one way because you can set the tone on the whole production because if you're a dick then no one would want to come to work well that's yeah the the number one number one on the call sheet really does set the tone for everything but that's why i think it'd be that's why even when i wanted to do acting stuff i really only wanted to be like number four on the call sheet because there's the perfect spot it's the perfect spot you're in it just enough yeah but the show doesn't rely on you. And also, as like the, about the fourth lead on a show, you get a little more freedom to yeah. just kind of be the guy who just jumps in and says something dopey and then leaves. And people are like, oh, I like that guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it doesn't – It's the responsibility of it doesn't land on your shoulders. It's when, and people are like, oh, so how's New York? Are you enjoying New York? I'm like, I am not seeing New York <laughs> at all. We work late on a Friday. I get up at midday on Saturday and Sunday's just enough time to recover and look at what I have to do the next week. Right. Whereas – so Bellamy Young on our show, I think she's either three or four in the call sheet plays my mother. She's watching shows every night and like enjoying <laughs> New York. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Everyone's asking me, like, are you watching shows? And stuff? I'm like, I, can't, I don't have any time. You need to turn Prodigal Son into a four-camera sitcom because then right. you have a sweet time. Three weeks on, one week off, you'd work like nine to four yeah. and you'd have one shoot night a week. You'd get yeah. your weekends, you know. Be amazing. This single camera shit, you just, it's like, well, we had, this, we had to shoot at night, so this is going to be a 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Yeah. shoot. Yeah. Then the next day, you know, yeah, it's crazy. But did you, so when did you, did you move to the United States specifically for for a job or did you move here to pursue acting in this I moved I, I was I was always really ambitious in my twenties and, and I um always had my eyes set on over here. And I did a movie in England called Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, which was a focus features movie with Amy Adams and Frances McDormand and Kieran Hines and Shirley Henderson, all these wonderful actors. And I knew that was my opportunity. So when they had the screenings in New York, I flew myself out and took meetings and got some representation then. And then started coming out for pilot season. And the first the year after that, um, I came out and got close to a couple of things. Um, and I, but I only stayed for like four or five weeks. And then the year after that, I'd done like some crappy straight to DVD horror film and a guest spot on a TV show. And I was like, screw it, I'm gonna go. And so I took a took out a credit card. Like it sounds cliche, but it's true. Um, took out a new credit card and was like. Okay, I'm going to go to America for three months, which is what you're allowed to come here for as a tourist, and um, and see what happens. And I booked, like, two or three weeks in, I booked a show on HBO called Luck, mm-hmm. which was um, with Michael Mann and David Milch and Dustin Hoffman and Nick Nolte and all these amazing people. And that was, and then I moved to America um, with that job and stayed. And then that we got cancelled, uh, like, a year after that. Um, which is funny. You think with that cast, you're like, this I show's mean, going nowhere. I, it was it was funny because... Uh, it's going to be on forever. Yeah, and I was like, we're going to win all of the cast awards. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> there was this show that we heard of when we were shooting that called Game of Thrones mm-hmm. in Ireland. And we heard that they were kind of pissed off because like the actors on that, they were kind of like, oh, there's this show in LA, like it's called Luck and it's got Dustin Hoffman and like they, they're like stealing our directors and stuff. And like they're the big HBO project. Kit Harrington came to our... Um, premiere actually in LA and he's like oh yeah good job and uh you know how's that dragon show you're working yeah, on yeah yeah because they were like shooting this show in Ireland and you know and they're like oh mm, it's wet and windy I mean their pilot got uh, junked as well and they reshot the whole pilot oh my gosh for Game of Thrones um but then we got cancelled and they became Game of Thrones I mean it's just that, you that just whole, don't know that show taught me um really taught me like no one knows anything and and you never know what's going to be the big hit and and you can have everything seemingly in your corner and and it doesn't pan out in the way that you think it might so that was a real grounding for me actually at that moment of you know you just have to put the work in and do do the jobs and you can't ever really expect that something's going to be amazing um and i think the landscape now on tv and film is just I don't know what... If you had a choice, I don't know what you would choose. Oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know which network, which program, because no one knows what's going to land. And, I, and so that's why I landed on this television show, because I wasn't even sure I was going to do network again. And then... Actually, I haven't, I hadn't done network. I wasn't sure I was going to do it. And um, then there were so many things, like Charlie Collier is now the boss of Fox, who came over yep. from AMC. Who's and a delightful who's human just being? Wonderful He's and great. sets a great tone. And and Fox was in this like new generation of growth. Um, Greg Berlanti was producing it. They had Michael Sheen on board. 
And it was just, everything was just like, okay, this feels right. And I knew that they were going to promote it and we were going to be visible. Um, because I feel like you could do something on Netflix and they promote it for a week and then it disappears into the algorithm. There's still and, power you know. in network. Like network, we tend to think, because we, we have very coastal mindsets, mm. like, oh, you know, radio and television are at, like people, most of the country still watch network television yeah, and yeah. they still listen to radio stations. Like it's not as... It's not as grim, and networks still have a lot of power. Yeah. And you can pick up the ABCs and NBCs and Foxes on bunny ears. You know, you can yeah. get them on an antenna. Yeah. You don't even have to be connected to the interwebs. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Michael Sheen, by the way, I don't know why it took us so long to watch it, but my wife and I are almost finished with Good Omens, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking so phenomenal. That's so up your street. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you kidding? Did you read the book? No, I didn't. And, I, and I'm a fan of Terry Pratchett, but I know that he wrote it with Neil. With Neil Gaiman, yeah. 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 And, uh, but, you know, like the combination of Sheen and Tennant together and Tennant as this sort of like this amazing demon. I don't know. They both just it, – it, it's and that show too is just like a – it is a smorgasbord of like, oh, this amazing actor, and there's Michael yeah. McKean and Francis McDormand, and you know, like it's it's amazing. Yeah, I think they all had a lot of fun. <laughs> they did, but is it? But so for the sh- for the network show so far, have you noticed? Because you know, Walking Dead was really kind of its own phenomenon. Yeah, and I joined at the height of the whole right. thing, season six, seven. So, but but working, you know, working on network, what have you? What's been different about that process? Um, well, there's a difference with me because I'm number one on the call sheet. So I'm just privy to a lot more conversations than I was before and have a lot more say, basically, which is amazing and and very nice. Um, but then you are also, so I wasn't aware of a lot of conversations that happened at Walking Dead and AMC because they're above my pay grade. Um, that might have happened. So I'm not sure exactly how different it was, but there's definitely a lot of juggling that goes on between studio notes and network notes and the writers and I think to be a writer on a network show is really difficult because you have your product that you want to make and you write this great story and then you get so many notes and you're just continually rewriting for many different reasons, for the demographics and for, you know, we, the the um, the network generally wants some, uh, I don't know if it's a studio, network, generally wants more procedural aspects. And, mm-hmm. and, but we have such a strong storyline with the family that we, we're finding that the audience really like the family and they want more of that. But the procedural helps get people in because it's familiar. Right. You know, so you have the CSIs and, and then they still get millions of viewers, all those shows. Well, because it's, you know, listen, it's the the long arcing shows like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and whatnot are a certain flavor of television. But... Which take years to build their audience. They take years to build and also... Eh, you know, part of one of the reasons why I have never watched The Wire, which I know is one of the greatest shows in the mm. history of television, is because the the enormity of it, like, stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. And you know, a procedural is going to have... You you know that in general, it's going to have an, a disposable arc that you can follow, like a, like in a CSI. Yeah. You sit down, you go, I know what CSI is. I know what the setup is. I can enjoy this, but it's not going to stress me out week to week. It's like you'll have a little bit of an arc, but then it'll probably be solved by right. the end. Like that's really comfortable. That's a very comforting feeling <laughs> when, when you have like, you know, it's like you, have, you live your life, your full day. You don't want to come home and fucking stress about a TV show. Yeah. Um, but I don't, but I don't think Prodigal Son isn't that. I know that there's a procedural element, but it's not that kind of, it's not like a CSI show. No. But it's, it still, I think, kind of gives people the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. So it's always a balancing act. You know, you're always juggling um, different aspects of the show. Um, but we, we're getting more into slightly more long form now. So we, we're introducing a serial killer who knew my dad when he was younger. And so there's this whole mystery playing out of um, he calls a phone at my house and then he tells me, like, oh, hell of a camping trip that we went on. And I'm like, wait, what is this? And there's always, there's always, we're playing with um, Malcolm's memories mm-hmm. and what he remembers of his childhood and what he blocks out. Um, and so we're going into that now and, and we're introducing this character played by Michael Raymond James. Who's great. Awesome. Like... We've had some great actors on the show. Um, so he's coming in and playing this great arc. Uh, and it's, there's these little mysteries that are playing out in the show, which are really fun to do. Um, and the case of the week is playing more into those as well. And I think when they, when they weave in together more is when the show really works. Um, Michael Raymond James, if I'm not mistaken, was on 
Wasn't he on Terriers? Yes, with Donald he, he Logue? was the lead on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was, and I just found out a couple weeks ago that Angela Kang wrote on that show. Oh, she did. I had no idea. I didn't know either. I was doing a panel with her, like horror on television panel, mm. and one of her credits listed was Terriers. I was like, "You fucking wrote on Terriers?" And she goes, "Yeah, that was such an amazing show." Yeah, I heard so much about it, and then it just didn't. It had a short. It had a short shelf life. It, right. I mean, not not a short shelf life. It had a short. It had a short life on television because I think. Someone from FX explained, like, they go, oh, I think we kind of missed the mark with the marketing because the marketing was basically just a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it said Terriers, and I think people didn't know what it was. It was about dogs? No, it wasn't really about dogs at all. <laughs> it was just sort of sort of like the, the two main characters are these kind of tenacious characters. Yeah. Uh, but it, if it's still available anywhere, people should watch it because you can, you can breeze through it pretty fast. Yeah. But I have a question for you about something you said earlier. You said, oh, in your 20s, you were really ambitious. And I, I'm kind of interested to talk about the the role of ambition and healthy ambition versus mm-hmm. like when people uh basically get sucked under <laughs> you know because ambition obviously can be deadly cuz you're doing mm-hmm. this kind of balancing act with your with your ego in a way mm-hmm. like cuz your ambition you want to do better you want bigger you want so what do you think is 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 healthy ambition and how do you balance it i think it's a, it's it's a balance between ambition and self-confidence and and knowledge of self um, and not being unrealistic. I mean, Los Angeles is just full of people who came here on a dream, which is one of the best things about it and one of the worst things about it because that just means that dreams get crushed every day in, right. in, this, in this city <laughs> It's as a well. great dream crushing machine. Like, uh, there's the, uh, what everyone knows as the Oakwood Apartments on oh, the yes. Boulevard, which is now the Ava Apartments. And, uh, you know, t- tons of families come with their children and stay there and lots of young actors come and, and it's this weird mishmash of different people all here for the same reason um and lots of beauty kings and queens from their like different states mm-hmm. uh, and then you get to la and you realize oh everyone here's beautiful that's not enough <laughs> you know? yeah that was oh the- there's lots of good actors here oh shit yeah well and also just like oh it's not enough to be good looking it's right. not enough to be that person from your town right you're now competing against everyone else from their right. town and everyone else from around the world yeah as well um so it's a, har- a harsh reality um i I've thought about this a lot because I don't really know. I'm not sure if I believe in self-help gurus and like, or people who are just like really selling a, if you, if you say your mantra every day, Mm -hmm. because I think there's a difference between um, telling yourself something and knowing something. Right. And I can't explain where it came from, but I always knew that I would be where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I knew I would get there at a certain point. I knew it was coming. I had a lot, a lot of frustration in my twenties because I was like, I hated being in my twenties. I was like, this is boring. I'm getting (laughs) terrible roles. Like, I mean, like no one, young guys are boring, you know, like, and like playing young guys is kind of boring. Like, and I always saw like actors careers take off in their thirties and forties, as far as uh, men go, Mm -hmm. thirties and forties and fifties. And that's when the interesting roles start. So I was kind of just biding my time until my thirties came and my forties came and, and, and it's playing out and the roles are getting more interesting and everything's working its way. What that doesn't mean is that I've wished my life away (laughs) in a certain certain way, but at the same time, it is working out how I want it to work out. And I, I, I wrote a Facebook, not Facebook, um, Instagram post um, a few months ago when I walked down to Times Square and my face is big up in Times Square and we had huge billboards around LA. And that was a big moment because I remember arriving here 10 years ago and seeing um, peers of mine like with their billboards up and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I'll get there. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm going to get there. And And I think... But, but at the same time, there has definitely been peaks and troughs and uh-huh. it's been hard. And there have been times where I've been like, oh, I think I need someone to give me a, a pep talk. And I had, I have, I had some good mentors along the way, but there is, there's a self belief there, which put a lot of people off when I was younger as well, especially in England. And that's another reason why I moved to America is because I was so sick of like tall poppy syndrome and like people like <laughs> who do you think you are kind of bullshit and I I hate that I don't like it when people like in England you know I'd say like well I'm gonna go be a movie star and people are like uh, yeah alright then I'm like fuck you I'm gonna go and be a movie star you go and sit here in your house and like give up on your life I'm gonna go and do this and I, I just I don't like the way that people limit themselves like that because what really that says is that they're afraid of what you're going to do it's like they don't have the they whatever it is to like take that step, and it's sure. definitely a leap. I moved to America on my own with no money, and like you know, it's it's that leap into the dark, and you have to have a huge amount of self confidence in order to do that, right? Um, 
and and and, I, and it also means sacrificing things. So everyone I went to drama school is married with kids now. You know, it's like I I realize that I'm going to do all that stuff later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting married next year, and we'll have kids in the next few years, I guess. But like that's in a perfect world, probably would have been a bit younger mm-hmm. um, when I when I did that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'm in a much better position now in my life and to be able to provide for all of that kind of stuff. Sure. So that was a weird life change because everyone I grew up with um, went through that life, you know, got married and had kids around 30, early 30s. Um, but but someone described it to me once as like everyone's part of um, each other's tapestries, you know, and, and, and I enjoy being like someone's friend who's like, he's out, he's Tom's out in LA and he's doing this. And, and I enjoy having my lawyer friend in London. And my, you know, it's really nice that everyone is going off and doing different things and having different lives. Cause you have different life experiences. Sure. 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 And, and also, you know, it, you can get very insulated here mm. in LA, you know, when everyone does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get away from all those conversations. Yeah. Like there's everyone's talking about work here all the time and that can be quite suffocating (laughs) if you're not. It definitely can. Yeah. Because there are conversations where you, it's like you talk about a bunch of stuff you're doing and then someone else talks about a bunch of stuff they're doing in the business and someone else talks about a bunch of stuff they're doing in the business. And it's like, I don't know if anyone really grew from this conversation. We were all just talking about ourselves in turns, basically, you know, as opposed to sharing. And there's also, um, we went to the people's choice awards last night where I gave a award and, um, I was saying to my publicist before we, you know, when we're standing on this red carpet scenario, I'm like, I want to bring someone from the street from like Ohio or London or wherever and just show them what this actually is because when you grow up you're like oh wow it's all so glamorous and these people but really everyone's standing in a line waiting to go down the red carpet it's so dopey everyone's just waiting there for, yeah it's hilarious yeah yeah it's, like, it, it is dopey because you're you're Liddy and I always have that thing where it where we're standing in line, I'm like, are, what, are we really standing in line so someone could take our picture? Yeah. You know, but a lot of times it's like, well, you know, some designer gave me this outfit, so yeah, it's yeah. part of the trade-off, and it's like we got, and and it and it, it it is a part of it, and it does it does like visibility helps yeah. in the sense that it it can help get more opportunities so you can continue yeah. doing the things that you like. But if it but if it's all about that for someone, then it can be pretty. Um, I don't know. It can be a pretty empty experience. I've watched people who are very, well, very good. I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Like, who are just network, network, network all the time um, to the detriment of friendships and stuff. Sure. And, like, just leveling up all the time. And, like, <laughs> and it works, you know, and it's worked out for um, certain people. But I just I just couldn't live my life like that, really. And and and, it, and that's just success for the sake of success. Yes. And, well. th- and, th- and those those types of relationships are typically built on... Um, it's sort of a flimsy framework Mm. in that if that person's career took a turn, I'm not sure any of those network friends would, would, yeah, would, would they would just sort of like slightly turn and then just, you know, like focus on other people. And so it is good to, I think it is good for people to remember like, yeah, you know, like real friendships, like real core friendships, you know, that don't have anything to do with that are important. I feel that that I, I tell people that about representation as well, uh, for like people who are representing you in, on your team, you know, like your lawyer or your publicist or your manager or your agent. Like, I'm always shocked when I hear from young actors like, oh, I did this job for a thousand dollars and they took a percentage of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's abhorrent. Like, I, I think like you should every single person that I work with has worked for me for free. Yeah. At some point, because isn't this whole relationship about believing that at some point we're going to get to this point here where we're all going to make money and be great and happy. And, and it's, and it's worked, you know, in in that regard, like we're all, and then, then everyone's very much invested in your success and where you're going to get. Otherwise it's just disposable and you're just another kid, you know, um, who's come to Hollywood and yeah, we'll, we'll throw you at the wall and see what happens. Right. But we're not really invested in the longevity of your career, which to me just doesn't make any sense. I've actually always liked, I weirdly kind of like paying commission on stuff, and I and I on tiny well, yeah, but when you were poor and you needed to eat food, yes. But like, the reason that it made me feel the reason that I liked it is because I felt like I was contributing back, and I felt like I, I sort of felt like I know this is only a hundred bucks for you now, yeah, but here's yeah. it's a breadcrumb trail. There'll be more where this came from, you know. Yeah. So I <laughs> because I sort of felt like I, I would always feel weird if I felt like 
you know, like I, I do feel weird when people do favors and we're like, oh, you don't have to do that. It's okay. Because I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just like Catholic guilt or something. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I always just sort of felt like, you know what? Just you take that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, then, then, then we're square. Because then I felt like. Then I didn't. Then I wouldn't feel as bad if you know calling them a hundred times, being like, "Hey, what happened with right. this thing?" Or, "Hey, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm paying you. I gave you a C note. What else do you want?" You know. <laughs> so it. I, I don't know, but it, it is. It is. It, it can be very tricky to navigate relationships in this business, in particular, because it it, it 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 can be it can be a very flimsy thing, and and you know, and you know, you don't know what's you don't know what's real. Like the red carpet thing is. It's pretty – I don't want to say fake, but it's not It's not real life. Like no, it, no, is no, no. A, it is a – it's a bit of a – it's a bit of a um, a shiny facade. Yeah. Well, the, it, it all is. All the parties and everything and everyone in photos together. Yes. Like, oh, they look like they're having a great time. And like <laughs> they just – you know, you're standing next to someone at a party and the photographer comes around and goes, okay, can I just get a photo of you and put you together and yeah. take a photo of you and like – Oh, you're best friends with that person. It's like you just met them two seconds before. You know, but it's the artifice. And I remember growing up before I had anything to do with the business and you're reading the magazines and watching the TV shows and you think like, wow, like all the famous people know each other and they're all hanging out and that well, looks so glamorous. Yeah, you're looking at a highlight reel basically. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm not a sports guy, but you know, but you watch a high, a, a, you know, someone's sports highlight reel, you go, wow, that guy's life is amazing. You're like, those are just the best moments. Yeah. You don't see the other 95% of the time, which is all the work, all the toil, all the self-doubt, all yeah. of the, you know. But what's interesting now is that everyone is self-editing themselves to have that life on Instagram and stuff. Of course. So the Doing the same thing. Absolutely. So which social media is a fucking red carpet now. Yeah. It, you're absolutely right. It's fascinating. And, uh, and when you meet people now who have come up in that way, like Instagram, and they've been in charge of everything, and then they come to a shoot or something where someone else does their makeup, it's really hard for them to cope with that, you know, because they're so used to how they light themselves and, and the artifice that they have created for themselves. Yeah. is really interesting to me. I've really... I, I mean... I really I do enjoy Instagram and I just don't post that often anymore because I'll go to post something and I just kind of feel like I don't care who fucking cares <laughs> does anyone give a shit that yeah, I yeah. did this thing or you know and so I just sometimes I just get and and being someone who was an early adopter of social media I I just feel exhausted by it a lot yeah. of the time. I'm like, no one gives a shit that I ate at this restaurant. You know, it's like, who cares? That's, who the fuck am I? I Why does anyone care? Ricky Gervais did a great Hot Ones um, and uh, where he talked about Twitter. And like, because I, so my fiance, Jen, like, doesn't understand. She just doesn't get it. And, and so whenever she's on, and like, I tell, even to tell her about, like, following a hashtag for a fire that's happening or something. It was like, right. go on Twitter and follow this hashtag. And even that is like, I don't understand it. I don't know how to filter it. And then, you know, but um, uh, if you don't get involved in those contentious conversations, you don't have to get involved. In no, it, it really can be whatever so, you want. So Ricky um, described it as like, Twitter is like someone putting a sign up in a window that says free guitar lessons. And someone else goes, I don't want free guitar lessons. <laughs> you know, and it's so perfect because it's people just screaming at other people because of something they said. It, it, it's, well, totally also, it, it, it really you can... You have to engage. No, and it also can be anything you want. Like, if you just want to look at, you know... If you just want to look at adorable animals curling yeah. up in sinks, you can do that. If my, you your just, feed is whoever you follow. My, my, my Instagram feed is, you know, I follow, like, my handful of friends who are performers, you know, a, cu- a couple of directors I like. And then it's just mostly artists. Mm-hmm. Like, I love surreal art. So I get a lot of surreal art. And then I get a lot of guitar and piano stuff. And so, you know, like a lot of my feed is like music theory and yeah, yeah, yeah. guitar stuff and really cool art. And it's like, you, sometimes I think people forget that you can direct, you can create the experience that you want. Cause the, but the other stuff is just so... It's just so alluring, but the second that you're like, the second that you're like putting a filter on a fucking sandwich, then yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. what has happened to my life? <laughs> Who cares? Why does the sandwich need to be in the Nashville filter? What the fuck am I doing? You know, yep. and then it all goes to shit. But with what we do, though, that's what's tough is that it it is finding that balance because there's a certain amount of it that's. Uh, you know it's part of the job it is part of the I job I don't enjoy like when actors complain about that side of things like I sound like I've been complaining but I haven't um, when they're like oh these parties are all this it's like well 
go and have a career in the theatre then. You don't have to engage with the TV and film world and do this. It is part of it. So if you want to have a successful TV and film career, you are going to have to do some press and you are going to have to do some of these events. But if you just want to do acting for the art and everything, you can go and do things. You can do it. But then there's you know. the John Hams in the, of the world who do, aren't on social media and his career is great. Yeah, but he does press. Right, 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 right. He's right, done right, press, right. you know, especially when Mad Men was on, you know. Right, right, But yeah, right, you don't right, have right. to engage with the social media side of it. It is interesting, though, because I, I, the younger generation, like um, like Aurora on my show, is in her early 20s, and they are looking at your social media now when you get hired for jobs. Yeah. They are, you know, and so there is a pressure on young performers to be involved in that stuff. Yeah. Um, because everyone else is, and you will lose a job to someone with more followers, and that's not great because it should be about your talent and how right you are for the part but everyone's desperate for eyeballs and they're gonna look at stuff like that you know you're right i mean you're right about what you said about about the theater thing because there was a um one year at comic-con i was talking to an actor who uh an, an older actor who was sort of grousing about you know he was he was in a big film series which I won't mention, but he was sort of grousing about like, oh, his contemporaries don't do press and he's got to do press. And I was just kind of smiling and nodding, but inside I was thinking like, don't do a big commercial movie yeah. franchise. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, it's part and, of the whole thing. Yeah, it is part of the whole thing. Because we enjoy the, the acting part of it. It's yeah. great and fun and, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, you get looked after and fed and, and have fun doing your job. And then the, 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 um, the press part of it is more of the work stuff. Actually, I know you said you're, you know, like you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about the self help stuff and the mantras mm. and stuff, but obviously, oh, it's definitely helpful for some people. But you have a like a, but you said this this certainty has always existed, kind of deep in the pit of your stomach, and was yeah. that is that just genetic or 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 because you can't? I know you said you need pep talk sometimes. So what do you? What sort of brings you back to that centered point? It's not a. Um, it's not genetic because my brother doesn't have it. <laughs> um, definitely not. And my dad was always telling me, "Well, you know, just around the corner could be like that big hole that you fall into." And like, right. like and I just didn't listen to any of that stuff. Um, I am um, like, I'm just. I've always been very gut driven. And any time I haven't followed my gut, it it has been a bad decision. And I've only done that like once or twice. But like, generally, it's you. I don't know. Me and me and my fiance are both very much like that, and we have a feeling about things. And 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 it, if you follow that feeling, generally it works out. Um, the the pep talk thing was is just because what happened then was so um, I did a movie with uh, Stellan Skarsgård, mm-hmm. who's wonderful, and um, I was having a tough time. Uh, my money was running out, and 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 I was just disillusioned with the whole thing. Um, this is just before Walking Dead, and um, we went to Jen and I went to go see him at his house um, and he gave me this great like I mean, very drunk <laughs> this kind of pep talk but it was all about you know just coming back to you and what makes you you and I had fallen into a trap of trying to be whatever it was that the studio wanted or the you know because you, you go to so many auditions and you get to the last round of all these things and you lose out because your eyes are the wrong colour mm-hmm. or you're not tall enough or your hair and that actually helps you get through things because then it's at least not a personal thing right but it becomes a grind and you're just like well what is this and and, and you're losing sight of what it is that gives you your spark and, and the natural things that um, come to you so then after we had this good pep talk and I felt great about it and I and I also was like okay I'm, I've got to just put a bit more effort in because I had become a bit um, laid back about it as well because I was like well it doesn't fucking matter what I do so I'm just going to send this tape off and they're just going to pick me or they're not because it's based on nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> you just get into that you know and um, but then I did a tape for um, a Gail Ann Hurt show actually called Falling Water Oh, yeah, The Dream Show. Yeah, The Dream Show. Um, and I did that tape. And then the next tape I did was The Walking Dead tape. And I had spent, before that moment, so much money and time on tapes. Like, I had gone to taping places with amazing lighting, and I'd done the makeup, or I'd done whatever. That The Walking Dead tape was probably the worst-looking tape I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I did it on my laptop, at the roof, in my parents' house, in the, in the attic space of my parents' house, with Jennifer reading with me from Sweden. Like, no, and uh, on my laptop. And, um... And we sent that off. And it was... The scene for that was very... It was nothing to do with the show. Right. It was my character walks in um, and is talking to the barmaid and telling her why he broke up with her sister. Mm-hmm. And in the scene, like, she slaps him and stuff. But because there's no description of the character, really, there's nothing really to go on, you just have to fall back on your natural rhythms. 
And so it was. it's kind of genius. So you just fall back on what comes naturally to you and your natural qualities, which are what they want for whatever role they're casting. So they write the scene and, and they... It, because you don't have any information, you just have to play what comes. Well, I think, but naturally. sometimes for people like to say, because you know, falling back into you is a great bit of advice. But some people are like, well, I don't know who I am. <laughs> I don't know what I, you know. Yeah. And that's a whole other. That's, that's a whole, a whole other, other thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's going really deep on it as well, though. Sure. Is like rather than because because it's the difference between like putting on a character and doing a thing or just being you know just more natural which as actors you're like well i want to i want to play a part what are you talking about like i want to be someone different um but generally everything is some kind of translation of yourself yeah and i, I see it a lot you know I mean, i've been hosting shows for 25 years so like i know i know how to do that really well and when i watch other shows when people are hosting i know like they're not comfortable because oh, they're yeah. doing like a weird imitation of a rhythm that they heard someone talk about they're supposed to oh, talk yeah. like this and it's like oh, you're not you're se- you don't know who you are yet yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and everyone we all go through that in the beginning so i guess some of it's just like we just got to do shit a lot you yeah. know i'm curious how how did you pl- this is a weird question but as a former uh, oh, theatrical auditioner, okay. how'd you play the slap? <laughs> I fell out of frame. <laughs> so you actually did Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and then came... But how you come back into frame is very telling of like, yeah. how he took the slap. <laughs> but yeah, that stuff is just... So weird. What do you do? It's so artificial. You know, yeah. I did this one audition years ago for like Boogeyman 3 and there were no lines and it was like crawling through an air vent and the casting director's just going, okay, you're crawling, you're crawling, ooh, it's creepy, ooh, and the boogeyman's coming out! And you're just like, what am I doing? And I did one for, like, Lost Boys, The Tribe, which is this, like, you know, um, Lost Boys spin-off yep. that Corey Feldman did. And it's at the end of the audition, you do the audition, and at the end of the audition, show us your vampire face. Sure. So then if they've got tape of, like, hundreds of actors going, <laughs> or, like, whatever the it is you know in that room it's that hilarious. should someone should compile all those oh, Liddy and I actually when we're watching stuff if there's like a weird sometimes we'll go like oh that would have looked really funny in the audition like oh, all yeah. the actors I, sitting outside and hearing everyone inside go yeah. you know or you can tell sometimes when you're watching something we w- I mean, neither of us drink but if we did we would play a drinking game called audition scene where someone does something and you go that was the audition yeah, scene yeah, you know that was the audition yeah, scene yeah. you know if there's a if there's like a two page monologue or something emotional in the first episode that was the audition scene I often think about that when I'm watching commercials a lot of the time like, <laughs> oh god they're the fucking word. what was the audition for this but you have how... to you have to have a whole other type of constitution to be a commercial actor yeah. and I have so much respect for commercial mm-hmm. actors because the amount of like cattle call size auditions oh. where you go into these weird multi-use spaces where it's like here's you know 50 white guys with blonde hair there's you know 40 you know little kids dressed the same there's yeah. it, like nothing makes you feel more not special mm-hmm. than that process and so it it is it is a real that is the grind of all grinds. Yeah. And I tell you, on the t- on a television show, guest star I think is the hardest job to come into a show that's running and everyone's at the top of their game because we do it every day. And then to come in and be a guest star, I think, especially if it was if because we're not um, you know massive massive show yet, but like to come in on The Walking Dead or something and do you know a little bit of you know, a few scenes or something, I think is really hard because you don't really know anyone, especially if you've got to do something crazy or like give a real performance. Like that's one of the hardest jobs on TV. I think just to come in for one episode. Well, yeah, because you, you have to come into a pre-existing. Yeah. It's almost like everyone knows each other. Everyone knows each other. So there's a lot, there's a shorthand, there's a lot of inside stuff, Mm. but you know, I, I would guess that shows like that, would be I mean my hope is that and from what I've heard they're extra nice to people who come in because yeah. they know they know that you know yeah, like yeah. they and that's I think why it's good to work with with actors who've been on a lot of stuff because mm-hmm. they know like oh I know what it feels like to be the new guy I've been around a long time so yeah. just to make sure everyone feels like hey it's alright because you get the best work out of people oh, when they're comfortable definitely that's one of the best parts of being number one on the show is like being you know because there's there'll always be like god I hope the Number one's nice and like, yeah. and to be able to go in and be like, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Which Andy did all the time on Walking Dead. It was yeah. great. He would come on the first episode of each director and the first episode of each new character, and and that that really means a lot and uh, and just immediately puts you at ease. Definitely. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to give that to people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, because it 
you know, you people, the process can be scary enough. And if you can't get out of your own anxiety and you're constantly like, oh, are these people mad at me or is this weird? Am I, I'm just disposable, you know, whatever. But ultimately, if they're coming in, it has to be believable that they're connecting with everyone else. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. should feel like they can connect with everybody else. Yeah. yeah. So what episode are you on now, Prodigal Son? You said you got picked up for nine more. <laughs> we got picked up for nine more. We're filming episode 12 right now. Episode eight airs tonight. Fantastic. And what are you excited about? Like, what what is it? What is it about the show in particular? Obviously, you know, you said Charlie, and you said, yeah. you know, it seemed like it was a it was a good opportunity. But just sort of emotionally, like, what are you connected to about the show the most? Um, it's a lot about family relationships, and we all have our own family drama <laughs> going on. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to. Uh, work some of that out <laughs> although I'm kind of through most of that any of my family trauma that I had but um, it's just for me like when I found out that I got the role I was jumping around my living room because I was so excited to do these great intense scenes with Michael Sheen mm-hmm. because he's just great he's and like so you're he's so, so good he's like an acting hero in England like he's just dependably amazing and just to play those scenes just one um, two people in a room together is is really fun and I hadn't like I had obviously had similar scenes. The closest I'd gotten to that is I'd had some great scenes with Lenny mm-hmm. um, James on on The Walking Dead, and that was great. Um, but to to do like drawn out scenes with great actors every day is what you want to do, really. So I, I just want to continue to do to do that. And I mean, I've it's also stretching me in every single direction. Like I did on Walking Dead, I was like, oh, I wish I had more to do. On this, it's like do everything <laughs> all the time. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe this is like, is there like a balance yeah. between the... This is like screaming, crying, running, shouting, th- bursting through a window. Like, it's just everything, which is great. You know, it's, it's really fun. It's exhausting. But it is like, well, there you go. You got what you wanted. Uh, don't mess it up. But so, so this, I mean, that, you know, 22 episodes is a considerable chunk of it's your... It's a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you going to take time off afterwards or do you... Well, we're getting married. Uh, yes. Like a week after um, we finish mm-hmm. um, in New York, thank God, because uh, we were going to finish like just before Christmas, and then we got the pickup, so we finished at the end of March. Now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get married, and then we'll see like, if something comes along. But I don't. I'm definitely not going to play the lead in something, or like, I, I'd play like a couple of weeks in something would be great. But the show is so exhausting, and I want to spend time at the house that I bought here a couple yeah. of years ago. You know, <laughs> I remember like, that. I, I haven't spent much time yeah. uh, at the house that I bought for us, so um, I want to do that. And I, I love New York, but it's a, New York is also a grind, and I can't wait to come back and be here. Well, yeah, and this is this is this was your home. Like yeah. it, it was, you planned on this being your home, but yeah. then of course the you know the best, but also. Uh, it, it, it is kind of funny how like some things can be sort of like a best and worst case thing where it's like best case scenario you get this job the worst case thing though is that you don't get to be home for yeah, a yeah, yeah. considerable chunk of the year but it could be worse like Andy was you know working in another country yeah. like I could be working in another country right you know, and be really inaccessible um, so it's we're still on the same continent which is are nice. you going to be good at because obviously you know with a successful show with another successful show you're going to get more opportunities and mm. so are you going to be able to say no to stuff if it doesn't feel how it's like maybe yeah. I don't need to cram my break with movies yeah I think so I, I'm pretty good with that like I, I watched other actors on other successful TV shows do that and I just think why you, you're on a successful television show you're making good money why do this other movie which which unless it's like prestige movie unless you're doing Wolf of Wall Street or you're doing something where you're like okay I'm pretty sure this is going to be amazing yeah why take the risk um are you that poor like you don't need the money like I don't understand it really some people just like to work non-stop yeah but make better decisions (laughs) I don't know there's there's different quality of projects well I guess it's also the why you know are you in the business to work as much as possible and make as much money as possible and ne- never have a, a moment of downtime. That's one career path. Another yeah. one is to pick and choose whatever kind of feels, you know, I guess it, everyone has a different path. I think if once you get to a position where you're lucky enough to have some kind of sway, um, then you don't have to keep... I mean, before this point, like, I, I, had, I had said no to some things which I knew would make me unhappy. I, I turned down a 
test on Penny Dreadful, um, the second series, because they wouldn't tell me anything about the character, um, and and it was going to be in Ireland for six months, and I I worked like one or two days an episode, Mm -hmm. and at that point in my life, I was like. I'll just be in the pub every day. Like uh, <laughs> that, I know myself. That's really smart. Oh my yeah. god, that's so that's incredible to oh, have that like kind I, of. I just know that will be really bad for me. That I think that is that sort of answers the question from earlier about finding that center point. It just sounds like you just know yourself really well. You yeah. know what your strengths are. You know what your weaknesses are, and you know what you need to do to navigate. I mean, that is. That's 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 a lot of willpower. It's a lot of willpower. It's also every decision I make, I want there to be progress mm-hmm. as well. I, there has to be a reason for doing something. So I said no to um, a sci-fi show which shot in Cape Town in, mm-hmm. in um, for two years, and it would have been tons of money, but it wouldn't have taken my career anywhere. And I, I was kind of like, well, why would I do that? You know, why would I make? I mean, this is. I don't want to talk about money too much, but like it would, would have made me hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have been happy with it. Right. Yeah, it would have been like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this just to make money. Right. And Cape Town's nice, I guess. But it was just like, I don't, I didn't have a feeling that like, oh yeah, I really want to do that. This is going to do something for me. In the past, I have taken one or two jobs where I'm like, I need to eat. Like, sure. I need to take this job. But if there's ever come a, and, and that job that I said no to would have meant that I couldn't do Walking Dead. Right. You know, and Walking Dead came along when I had two months rent in my bank account. My visa was running out and I could, I had a $30,000 tax bill, you know, but I was willing. And that's not the first time that I had been right at the end of my means um, until I booked that job that changed everything because it's that as well. It's having that trust in yourself and that belief. And it's hard to, it's hard to have that, you know, it's hard to, to go to the end of your means, but it works out. Well, it's hard to have that trust because part of the steeplechase of this business is that it is a dream crushing rejection machine. Yeah. And, and also, you know, in as much as we tell ourselves like, well, you know, don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about other people think. But unfortunately what other people think does tend to determine sometimes whether or not you can do the thing that you want to do. And so it is easy to get pulled in that direction. Sometimes there's a, there's an attitude in America, which I didn't have when I came like the whole fake it till you make it kind of thing. And like, I didn't drive before I came over here. And when I started working with HBO, like you have to drive yourself to work. So I had to get my license here and get a car and stuff. And like my friends, I got a Miata, like mm-hmm. a '99 Miata, because nice. uh, I was like, I want to have fun driving. Like <laughs> it's a fun car. Why do Come I on. need to? I, I just it's a good time. Driving in LA sucks sometimes, and I just want a fun car. And my friends like mercilessly took this at me for it. And I'm like, why is what car you drive so important in America? And I was like, why is this the case? And you see people spend money on cars, mm-hmm. which depreciate straight away. Yep. And because they want to look a certain way. And that just never made sense to me. My car cost me $4,000. It had 180,000 miles on it. And it was fun. And I was like, this is what I'm going to have. And I'm not going to... I was never... I didn't do things to show other people. Um, I didn't... I never really felt that pressure. Um, Again, that's because if, if because you seem comfortable with who you are. Yeah. And when you're not comfortable with who you are, people tend to do those kinds of things yeah. because, you know, like, we all crave some form of validation. But there's an emptiness behind that. Then. Of course there is. But <laughs> you're just like, I have this thing, but I don't really but that's, want this that's, thing. But that's the trap. And it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, I always compare it to drinking because I used to do that a lot, mm. you know, a long time ago. And it is that thing of like, this will make me feel good in the moment. Oh, but it's not enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh but now I need more. Now I need more. Now yeah. I need more. It is that kind of like empty pursuit of, you know, validation, almost addictive pursuit of validation yeah. that can never actually fill the hole mm-hmm. because it's external and you have to figure out how to validate yourself, which is very hard, you know, it can be very challenging for people to do. But somehow you manage to figure that out at a young age. And I don't yeah, know. I don't know how, which is why whenever anyone asks me, I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't give it to you, you know. Like, I can't give you that self-confidence. Uh, and, and so that's why at the beginning I was talking about the mantras and stuff is because I feel like some people... By, and it's a huge business, the self-help business. Yeah. And, and oh, why, why isn't everyone a millionaire then? You yeah. know, like, why isn't everyone so happy? Because, and the reason why the self-help business makes so much money is because people are just buying the next one and buying the next one and looking for the next thing without looking at why, you know, they should be happy. <clears throat> my, my, my only problem as someone who's read a lot of and listened to a lot of self-help right, right, stuff right. is that it, it actually, 
Where I think it drops the ball is that it generally... I mean, some of it does kind of give people, like, here's how you should live your life like yeah. on a day-to-day basis. But so much of it is in that... It's almost it's a similar kind of like get rich quick thing where yeah, exactly. it's like here's how to get the things you want but but so few but not a lot of them really tell you how to maintain once you get those things that aren't going to fix you. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. how do you maintain your life day to day and how do you have success without sabotaging it and how do you feel successful without external reference points but that was that whole that journey that Russell Brand has been on of like he he thought he wanted to be famous and he wanted all the money and like to marry Katy Perry right and he did it all and then he was like but I'm still not Fixed. Happy, yeah, you know, yeah like, exactly. And so he's gone completely the other direction. You know? Yeah, I, I watched a, um, a documentary recently, and there was a guru guy on it. And and the most valuable thing that I took away from that, which which is, you know, I felt is that it's not about the past, it's not about the future. It's always about now, mm-hmm. and and it really is. You know, because the future is yet to happen, and the past you can't change, and it's just you know, and it's also about memory and stuff. But you can always, you know, you're just always in this moment and this moment, this moment, which, which I think is a really healthy way to live. And if, if you can do that, if you can be present and it's really hard for people to be present, I think. Yeah. If you can, if you cannot be haunted by the past and afraid of the future. Yeah. Those two things that, you know, our brain constantly, especially if you're an overthinker yeah. where your, your brain just needs, you just have this hungry brain that just needs to be fed all the time, yeah. you know, and then it just starts consuming. <laughs> it turns on you and consumes you. And also career wise, it's about not looking at someone else. Yeah. Like, you can look at, maybe a place in society that you'd like to attain but someone else is entirely different from you and you will never be that person because you just are inherently not that person right so your quality is important to bring out your qualities whatever that may be um and that will take you somewhere else on a different path and that will be much more true to yourself because and i've you know we said earlier on you watch people ape other people's careers and try and you know get to a certain um place which is similar but i think you'll always be if you really listen to yourself and and what makes you you, then that will always be the most success that you find because you're not going to be that person. You know, you're just not. Spoken like a true gentleman who drove into this town with a dream and a 99 Miata. (laughs) (laughs) I love that car. I only got rid of it two years ago. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) How many miles did it have on it by that? At that point, it was almost 20 years old. Yeah, it was like 190,000. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was a great car. <laughs> you know you could just get another 99 Miata if you want. Yeah, I know. Now I can. Yeah. You probably... Now you could just... <laughs> it was a fun car. <laughs> you know what I... Listen, this is just something to think about. Yeah. When I was a little kid, my parents uh, got me... I don't know where they saw it. They saw it in a store window somewhere, but it was... Someone had hollowed out like a Corvette racing car mm-hmm. and put a bed in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think when you have kids... I think the first kid, you should just hollow out a, a Miata, Miata <laughs> and make it the little crib, you know? Oh my God, that's a great idea. Then you'd both get something out of it. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, but then I would just be sad that it wasn't the one that I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but that's that's your baby's Miata. Yeah, like, yeah. that's that's, that's their true. dream. It's different, yeah. It's got a little activity center. They can honk the horn. I just think it's a great that idea. Recycle your Miata. It was British Racing Green as well. Oh, oh that's a good color. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. That's a, I don't think I've ever seen a British Racing Green Miata. I, like I thought they just came in red no it was, a, it was a really nice British racing game with a tan interior oh <laughs> you're, you're winning me over now yeah, it's great oh Tom I can't thank you enough for coming to do the podcast you've always been so delightful and you've suffered through a lot of Jesus jokes on Talking Dead and, <laughs> and every time I made one I'm like I'm not gonna do it again and then I do it and I go god damn that Tom Payne he's real patient because they play well <laughs> <laughs> that's why because you know they play well but I, I appreciated you on the show, and I'm just so happy that you're doing all this great new stuff. And congratulations! On, please tell Jen I said hello. I will, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you at one of those wonderful red carpet events. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't this natural? Yeah. Look how comfortable this is. I still don't know how to, like, I still don't know how to pose and smile. Oh, no, I mean, I've I done a million of them, time. and I still. Yesterday uh, I had a. So a stylist put the clothes on me, and like, okay, so this is how you should stand. And then Jen came with me, and just before we got on the red carpet, I was like, I don't know how to stand with Jen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, these stupid things. And like, I don't know which side she's. Oh my god. Like, it's just so. You know, my wife is very patient with me about that stuff because I always. 
instinctively pick the wrong side to stand on yeah. based on like whatever her outfit is. Oh, she pushes like Jen stands on. She knows which side she has, and she'll push me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lydia's always like, "No, the person's on this side," and she'll scoop me over. I go, "Okay, I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah, yeah, no, no. You're just gonna have to, yeah. And but thankfully, she's she's very. But they crazy. just look amazing. Like Lydia and Jen just both look amazing. So everyone's looking at them anyway. So it doesn't really. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, like you, because usually the, the photographers will go, oh, "Can we get a fashion shot?" And they'll want a solo shot, and I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, I don't know why you wanted to photograph me anyway in the first place." Like I am shocked that I. I'm in any of these, so of course. But um, thank you for sharing a lot. There was some good wisdom nuggets here on this podcast, yeah, Tom Payne. Bit of rambling, but yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> well, listen, you have to know to American ears, you could read stereo instructions, <laughs> right. and people would be like, "It's enchanting." You're uh, you're automatically enchanting to our course. That's wonderful. You know, I still get because I play American on Prodigal Son as well, uh, and we did this People's Choice thing last night. Lots of the feedback is like, "Oh my god, I can't believe he's British! Oh my god, it's a whole other thing now!" <laughs> and people get really excited about it. It's so funny. Well, maybe uh, you could just start mixing up your accent. The next time you present the role, you're like, "Today, a war yeah, 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 exactly. goes through." Like, where is this guy from? Everyone's brains explode. He's I a chameleon, no man. No one knows. All right, watch Prodigal Son. Yeah, foxes. The, the, foxes. Fox on Monday. Foxes. Foxes on Monday. Watch these foxes <laughs> on Fox. Ah, oh, uh, Tom Payne, would you sign our guest book? Sure. ID Tanty scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.